Welcome to Fusion Fantasy Football. Hello everyone, I'm Josh, your host, and today I have a guest. I have Dan Williamson on. He's co-host of the Goat District podcast. And they just recently launched a additional kind of podcast series they're calling Ballin, all about best balls. So we're going to get into that today. Thanks for joining me tonight, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Joshua. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to jump on here, talk a little bit of best ball and whatever else we happen to think about. Yeah, we were just part of a best ball auction, one of the John Bosch quarantine charity leagues. And so whenever I'm in those or any, really any league, I always kind of look around the room and see if there's anyone interesting that I just want to take advantage of that connection of. So uh, you were at this time. So I invited <laughs> you on. I'm afraid to ask why. <laughs> that was a very interesting uh, league and auction. Technically, it's wrapping up, but it's basically over. Uh, we we right. we could get into it a little bit later, but it probably isn't very relevant uh, for the most part because it's a very unique format, being all flexes with uh, two super flexes. So it's it's not going to much carry over to anything we're going to talk about. Yep. But you you're doing this best ball podcast. Uh, one podcast has already out. By the time this one is out, maybe your second episode will be out. You were telling me about the second one already done. Uh, I really enjoyed the first one, you, JD, and Eric. A lot of good information and perspective and really good insight. But let's back up a bit. I want to know, um, what do you like about best balls? Like, why did you decide to start doing this instead of Dynasty, Redraft, normal DFS? Well, um, I, first off, I, I did them. I started getting into them just because they're fun. Um, and they are in addition to dynasty and redraft. So I, I like to do all different kinds of fantasy football. I do dabble a little bit in DFS, but not very much because I find that, um, all the other forms of fantasy football I play pretty much suck up all my time to the point where I just don't really have very much left to commit to DFS. And if you don't have the time for it, it's, um, you can uh, spend a lot of money on it. So to me, it's just, I would rather focus on the things I'm really enjoying and the things I'm already good at. Uh, best ball is one of the, one of the big advantages to it to me is that you're constantly practicing on drafting. So, you know, when I get down to August and I'm starting to draft, uh, you know, the more important bigger dollar drafts or, you know, drafts with, uh, you know, groups of friends where it's it's much more important to me that I win uh, compared to the average best ball, which is with, you know, usually 11 other strangers. And, you know, I don't really have any any particular tie to that one league. Uh, you know, by the time I hit August and September, man, I, I've been drafting from every position. I've gone through every scenario. I've seen the way that player values are rising and falling. So it just gives me a lot of advantages for that. I have a lot of comfort level in that draft. So I can really focus on uh, what the other people in the draft are doing rather than, you know, what's what's their player wise. That's kind of almost becomes automatic for me. And my favorite part about best balls is when the draft is over, that's it. You're done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's no week-to-week in-season management. For anyone that's not aware, I guess we should cover the basics here. I kind of jumped into it. If you don't know, I don't know. Listen, not a lot of people listen to this podcast, and most of the ones who do are pretty much pretty deep into the things. So sometimes I make assumptions I probably shouldn't. But best balls are the leagues that form your best possible uh, lineup each week after the week and all the results are in and so it's really more about building a team that can maximize those points am i right is that a good summary yep exactly uh you know best balls are the fantasy one night stands uh you know you just you draft it you get out and you you know if you don't want to you don't even have to pay attention to it again until uh the end of december january when uh when the results come rolling in and you find out whether you won or not uh i tend to keep a little bit more uh, tabs on how my best balls are doing just because I'm taking notes throughout the year as far as what, you know, what seemed to have been working and what didn't and why and so forth like that. But, uh, you don't have to, but overall, overall best balls, um, you know, to me, the fun of them is just kind of trying to figure out the different, um, 
ways that you can put together your team, uh, you know, whether you go running back heavy or wide receiver heavy or whatever you want to do. So what would be the biggest reason that you would encourage someone who hasn't tried best ball to try it out? Is it the the time issue? Is it the getting familiar? Is it, if there's one thing that you could point to that is your biggest reason someone should try it out, which one of those would it be? Um, I think for me, it's just, you know, it kind of feeds the addiction. It kind of keeps that, uh, constantly, you know, I'm, I'm always drafting. There's always something going on. So, you know, it's kind of like a, a background level of football that just kind of keeps me really connected with everything that's happening in the, in the sport and the league, uh, throughout the different parts of the off season. And, uh, you know, it can be a, a great way to, you know, make a little bit of money too, if, um, you know, if you're good at it, but for the most part, I, I just enjoy having it always going on. I, I prefer the slow drafts over the live drafts, uh, just because the live drafts typically require, you know, that you have an hour or two of uninterrupted time. And I, you know, most of the time that those are going off those, that's kind of family time for me. Uh, so I just prefer the slow drafts that I can kind of jump in every couple hours and take a look and make a pick here, pick there and uh, move on with my life. I really like what you brought up about it keeps you knowledgeable and familiar and then eventually probably ahead of the curve on just drafting on the players, on the values, on being comfortable. That's exactly what we tell people every year about why they should be mock drafting, except these are almost like mocks that the people are really trying because sometimes you jump into these, I enjoy fantasy football calculators mocks, but sometimes you get people in there or computers fill in the, the empty spots that aren't trying or doing obvious things as if it's a computer or they're trying something new, which is great. That's a great use of those tools. But when you're doing a, a best ball, the, the people are actually trying and you really get a better sense of where people are really at and what they really, uh, where their values are really at. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, even, uh, you know, if you're playing $10 best balls or $5 best balls or even, you know, $3, $1 best balls, uh, just the fact that everybody who's involved in the draft has some skin in the game uh, tends to make it important and it tends to make them draft more like it's a real draft rather than, like you say, with the mocks. Sometimes you get people who are just doing crazy stuff just to try it out. Sometimes you get people who are in there just trying to have fun by torpedoing the mock, by drafting all kickers uh, from round one on or whatever the case might be. Um, but this really fo forces people to uh, get in there and focus on what they're doing. And so you get a much more true idea of, of how a draft would unfold. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely that guy who in the mock draft is, is seeing how many rounds I can go before drafting a wide receiver. Um, I admit it. That's that's definitely me. You are a wide receiver zero drafter then, huh? Um, especially last year. Yeah, I did find myself doing that a lot. And both ways. Sometimes I'll go the other way. But usually that's the way I, I can find myself. I can find myself getting away with that a little easier. Yeah. Oh, that's part of the fun of best balls, too, is you can, you know, you can try different strategies from different, you know, places in the draft. Uh, you know, like there's. What I've been finding, you know, just for an example, is that when I'm drafting out of the two or three spot, uh, I, I do really well. I, I'm pleased with how my teams look when I have, uh, you know, initial running back and then I draft like five wide receivers and then I start going back and hitting running back again. And then there's other spots in the draft, you know, later on, like seven, eight, nine, where I'm I typically finding myself going running back, running back, running back, sometimes three or four in a row and then starting to get into wide receivers. So you can kind of play around with how the, you know, how the draft unfolds. Um, and, you know, like in the, the seven or eight spot, I found when I tried to force going wide receiver earlier, then I was constantly scrambling around. So I just didn't like it, you know, later on in the draft, how things were kind of playing out. So you can, you can find the best ways to draft from each position. Now, is that pretty stable year to year? Or do you find even... Um do years differ because of the players themselves in the player pool? Yeah, exactly. They, they definitely do. You know, like um, right now 
people are more focused on drafting running backs. They tend to disappear a little bit faster. Uh, you know, the, where the tier breaks are and running back and wide receiver will kind of inform your decisions about whether you want to take a, you know, running back or wide receiver next, you know, cause you're usually trying to, um, get as many players in a, in a good tier before you drop down to the next tier, you know, so if running back has dropped down a tier, but wide receiver has yet to drop down a tier, then that's going to force you to go wide receiver more often than not. But then there's also times where you find out that by the time it gets back to your turn again, uh, wide receivers drop down, you know, only one more tier and running back has dropped down two tiers. So even though running back has dropped a tier already, you're still better off taking running back now because later on it's going to get even worse. So you, you just get plenty of practice at, at dealing with all those scenarios. And even within the season, you'll find it kind of slowly morphs as players, you know, move up and down in value and, and, uh, you know, different uh, websites start touting particular players and so forth. And all of a sudden they start rising up the draft board or, uh, you know, a player falls out of favor and starts falling down the draft board. You can make those things work to your advantage too. Now you talked about being familiar for your dynasty and your redraft uh, kind of, or it would have to be a startup if it was a dynasty, but your, your drafts later as the season comes closer, what changes because it's best, best of all, um, do you approach your actual team construction, the types of players that you are chasing? How much does that actually change from best ball to redraft? Because I know, I know that when I first think best ball, the immediate like instinct is to, oh, okay, I want to go after these, uh, you know, Deshaun Jacksons or these guys who can really put up big games and take advantage of the fact that it's best ball. And when they have a big game, he's not sitting on your bench he's going to get up in your in your roster and give you those points. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's uh it's an, a consideration to a certain extent I think um consistency is a little bit of a myth. It's a little bit, you know, hard to pin down consistency from year to year. Sometimes players, you know, every a player can be consistent until he's not. And a lot of times you have to look at more than just what his history was, but also look at what his team situation is now compared to what it was last year or what you anticipate his team situation is going to be now versus last year. Uh, you know, so, you know, you can have a player like, uh, you know, a Jamison Crowder who was pretty consistent as long as Sam Darnold was playing. And then all of a sudden, if we add in a couple more receivers and maybe Love Bell gets, uh, you know, a little bit more healthy, a little bit more involved, you know, Jamison Crowder might become a little bit more boom bust. So you have to kind of try to factor all those types of things in too. But uh, for the most part, for best ball, um, I'm just looking at, I look a little bit less at the boom bust and more at just trying to put together a team that fits well together, the running backs, the wide receivers. Um, so I have a good scoring profile, um, you know, like within the wide receiver position, I'll try to take a couple of guys who I think might be, uh, you know, pretty solid performers and then sprinkle in, uh, a couple of guys who maybe I think might be boomer bust or take a couple of guys who are, um, you know, might not do anything for the season, but if they hit, they're likely to hit big. Um, uh, so you try to, you try to sprinkle in different kinds of risk profiles uh, throughout your best ball roster. So do you see people sometimes going too far that way because they have in their mind it's best ball and going after all of these these players that are boom bust or they have in their mind that they have the idea of the being big, big games um, or maybe injury risk, but now they don't have to worry about them uh, because if it's best ball, is that something that's maybe overplayed? I I think it can be a little bit. I think um, where you where your biggest advantages in best ball can be is just in how you put together your team. Uh, you know, like where when you take your quarterbacks, when you take your tight ends, how many tight ends you you take. I always kind of think about it in terms of uh, you know how much draft capital am I expending at each position and how much do I need to expend at each position? Uh, like running back and wide receiver is where you're going to put in most of your draft capital, obviously, but you don't want to totally ignore quarterback. You don't want to totally ignore uh, tight end. 
And uh, if you're playing on a site with defenses, you don't want to totally ignore defenses either. Um, what you want to do is like, you know, for example, for tight ends, if I get an early tight end, I'm probably going to wait, you know, like uh, Kittle or Kelsey or Zach Ertz or somebody like that. I'm going to wait until pretty late to take my second tight end because I've already put a lot of draft capital into the tight end position just with that one pick. And I only need to score one tight end every week. So the odds are that's probably going to be the one where I put in all that draft capital. Uh, you know, if something, if like, if I draft Travis Kelsey and Travis Kelsey gets hurt, my best ball team is probably not going to win anyway, you know, so there's no sense in, you know, in getting two more fairly, you know, draft capital intensive tight ends because, you know, either Kelsey's going to do great and I didn't need them or Kelsey's going to get hurt. And then i probably going to, you know, wish I'd taken a running back or a wide receiver there. And that's what it would have taken to win, you know, because you're always playing against 11 other guys. And so you've never, you know, if you can hit an 8.3% win rate, you're breaking even. If you can hit a 12% win rate, you're making pretty good money at it. I mean, if you, you know, if you do enough drafts, so, uh, you know, even hitting a 12 to 15% win rate is something that, um, you know, that's, that's still not a lot. It's, it still means you're losing way more than you win. And so you just have to go into it with the expectation that, you know what, sometimes this draft is going to go bust for reasons that I don't know uh, at the time I'm drafting it. And so I just have to, I have to trust that my good players are going to stay healthy and draft as if they would, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and if you can't tell, I want to get more into this roster construction, um, topic but i guess first we should clarify what is the typical format of uh let's say those sports hub bb10s um that you play in are they as far as the starting lineup and the scoring okay so the scoring is ppr um the starting lineup is going to be uh one quarterback two running backs three wide receivers a tight end a flex who can be running back, wide receiver, or tight end, and then a defense. Uh, so you have basically uh, quarterback, tight end, defense. Those are you know what we call the onesie positions where you just really only need one of them. Now your tight end could score in the flex as well if you have more than one tight end and they both have a good week. But uh, for the most part, you're probably just going to be scoring one tight end every week. Right, and that's why I say if you're spending up on one tight end, it's kind of counterproductive to spend up for a second one because even if he does slip into that flex spot, now he's kind of taking the spot of other running backs or wide receivers who could have also gone in that flex spot. Right. So what is your optimal um, roster construction going in in your mind? What is? Do you have a particular target of I want two quarterbacks, two tight ends, five running backs, six wide. I mean, what is your, your goal? So I try to stay within ranges uh, with all the different positions. And I really like let the draft kind of come to me and the value that I get dictate in the early rounds, what I do in the later rounds. Um, so typically I would prefer to just draft two quarterbacks. Um, so I want them both to be fairly good. I would prefer to draft two, sometimes three tight ends. I'll generally draft three defenses, and we'll talk about why later. Everybody thinks it's crazy to draft three defenses, but there, there are reasons why it's not. And then uh, my running backs, I'll draft somewhere between four and six, and my wide receivers, I'll generally draft six to eight. So, you know, it – and whether I draft four or five or six running backs kind of depends on how early I took my running backs, what my confidence level is with them, uh, what sorts of opportunities present themselves later on the draft board, you know, as we start getting into the teens rounds, things like that. And you talked about two quarterbacks. That's, I know in my limited research into best ball in the past few years, that's always been a bit of a debate, two or three quarterbacks. Um, do you find the two is just because that frees up another roster spot and you're hoping that the two good ones, like you said, you want good ones then are going to give you a good week between the two of them? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, if, 
if I'm not able to get my second quarterback early enough and I don't have the confidence that I want my second quarterback, then I will end up taking a third quarterback. Um, you know, so if you, if you do that, then you're probably limiting yourself to two tight ends. So you'll just want to make sure that you, you have a, a strategy at quarterback and a strategy at tight end that meshes well with each other. Um, you know, so typically if I go early tight end, then I know I'm only going to be taking one more tight end so I can give myself the freedom to wait a little bit at quarterback if I want, because if I end up taking a third quarterback, it's not that big of a deal. But if I don't, if I don't take a tight end until, you know, after a lot of the main ones are gone, um, I already know that. And so I know I've got to take two quarterbacks, uh, make sure they're both good ones because I'm only going to have room on my roster for two. And then I'll have to spend that third roster spot on a tight end. And what is the total roster again? Uh, total roster is 20 for the BB tens. Okay. Yeah, I'm just trying to do math in my head here. <laughs> yep. So, so basically I try to end up with, um, between quarterback tight end and defense. I try to keep that down to seven or eight roster spots total. I see. And you mentioned the defense, so we might as well get into it. I mean, most people don't want to spend that. Most people think uh, to me, and I mean, maybe I would even think this way. I haven't thought too much about it, so I don't know. But uh, it's another onesie position, like you said. So why wouldn't the same exact reasons you just used for quarterback or tight end also apply to defense? There's a couple things on defense. Um, number one, defensive scoring is a lot less predictable than the other positions. And so for that reason, you know, you'll see people right now, you know, taking the San Francisco defense and they're doing so in the early teens rounds. Um, and they're assuming that San Francisco is going to do just as well this year as last year. And there are some defenses where you can count on, they're probably going to do pretty good. But the thing is for, for the San Francisco defense to pay off that early in a draft, they really need to do as well as they did last year, which almost never happens. So, you know, while San Francisco will probably have a good defense, they probably won't be that good of a defense. And the value comes, um, on defense or any other position is when you can get, you know, something, something that outscores the round that they were taking in, you know, like if you're taking your defense in the 18th round and they score really well, that's going to be a huge positive for your team. But if you take a defense in the 12th round and they don't score very well, then that's a bigger negative than, you know, the positive that you're looking for. It's like basically all your risk is to the downside when you're taking that defense that early. Because you could have gotten a player in the 12th round that would have given you some good weeks. Right, exactly. So you're foregoing a player, which is much easier to predict what their performance is probably going to be than that defense where you don't really know um, what their performance is going to be. So basically, having that third defense gives you a 50% better chance of getting a good score on any given week because you have three different chances to get that good score you can you know the average defense often is going to score you four five six points but you get that week where they score 16 so the more chances you give yourself for that week where they score 16 the better off you are um, and we're doing that with our late latest round picks you know typically i don't take a defense before round 16 at the latest or at the earliest i should say uh, just because i you know i want it i want to use picks that don't have much value for other positions where it's really dart throws at wide receiver running back or anything like that and use those picks on my defense. The other thing that you can do with the defense, when you take three different, three different defenses late, you also give your chance to find that one magic defense for the year that's going to consistently be in your starting lineup. So, you know, it's kind of two different ways that you can get great defensive scoring and kind of turbocharge what's going on with uh, with your scoring week to week in your roster. So you're not even trying to, like you said, 16th round. That's mean, I mean, we said 20, so it's 20 rounds. That's yep. There's only one other one pick in there for some other lottery ticket, but you're not even trying to get what you would perceive as a, the, a top 10 defense. You're literally just spreading out your shots, trying to hope that one of them becomes like San Francisco, which was not at all thought to be, a top scorer last year. 
Right, exactly. And, you know, I like if you're in the 16th or even 17th round, a lot of times, you know, you can pick up uh, defenses like Kansas City or New Orleans um, where you, you have a pretty good idea that they're probably going to do pretty well. I like defenses like Kansas City and New Orleans because, number one, they've got a pretty good track record. They've been, you know, like top 12 defenses for several years in a row, so you can have a little bit of confidence in them. And the other thing is they're, they're teams that have offenses that really stress the opposing defense. And, you know, when you have that offense that, you know, puts up a ton of points, then all of a sudden the other team has got to try to put up a ton of points to match it. And so they start taking chances. And when other teams start taking chances, that's when you can get those those defensive scores that all roll together. You know, the sacks, the interceptions, the um, the pick sixes, all that kind of stuff tends to to roll together like that. Yeah, I'm a Patriots fan, and so I actually I was pretty high on the Patriots defense going into last year, but it's been that way for the Patriots for years, not to the extent of last year, but just like you said, because of their offense, their defense never really looked very good in yards given up and things like that because the, the opposing team always had to try and keep up, especially when the Patriots had those higher-octane offenses. So, I yeah, I love doing that too, even – just in my redraft or my keeper leagues where you just have uh, one or two, de- you probably only roster one defense even. And sometimes you can land on the one that you get to keep around doing that. But picking that one that uh, that has a good, good offense that's going to force the other teams to maybe make mistakes. And that's where your points come from. It doesn't come from uh, the points given up. It doesn't come from yards. It comes from turnovers and touchdowns. Uh, even special even special teams plays. And by starting, you know, picking defenses in round 16 and later, you know, that's, if you start round 16, that gives you five rounds, uh, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20 to take your, your three defenses. Uh, you might not start in round 16 every, every draft, just because you might see, Oh, there's still a wide receiver running back or a tight end that I, I really like here. So I'll wait and I'll start in round 17 or 18 with my defense. But it just kind of allows you the freedom to, you know, if there's nothing that looks any better than a defense that's on the board right now, go ahead and take your defense. And then you can always take that one last lottery pick um, running back or wide receiver in round 18 or 19 or 20 or wherever it happens to work out. Now, once the NFL schedule comes out, how far do you go into researching team schedules now obviously you're going to have to at that point you're going to consider bye weeks to make sure you don't have them stacked up or maybe we can get into it maybe that's a strategy i've seen where people do stack it up but um we're on defenses so let's just consider defenses for a minute one of the reasons i was higher on the patriots was because it was pretty clear at least for the first half of the season once we had the schedule they were playing a lot of what we guessed and it was pretty you know, reasonable guesses were going to be weaker offenses um, that they were going to be playing against. And so that was just kind of an added benefit on top of them clearly being a talented defense and Bill Belichick and all of that. So is that something that you go, how far do you get into it when you're picking? Um, we're, we're talking defenses, but we're going to get into the other positions as well. But how far do you get into schedule? Do you actually look at it and say uh, this team has a really good schedule so does that boost them up your personal rankings yeah i'll start looking at schedules more um you know obviously at this point we know at least who each team is going to be playing we don't know when but um i'll i'll start taking a look at strength of schedule a little bit more after the nfl draft just because i feel like up until then there's a lot of moving parts to it um, especially when you start doing best balls, you know, before free agency even opens, um, you know, teams that look like they might be good can end up not being good and teams, you know, vice versa as well. And then of course, you know, once you get into the regular season still, you know, there are teams that come out of nowhere and you're just like, wow, I never expected this team to be that good offensively or defensively or whatever the case might be. So I, I do pay some attention to it for the most part. My main thing, my main concern is I want to watch, Stacking bye weeks, you know, I want to make sure my quarterbacks have different bye weeks. My defenses have different bye weeks and all that. But, uh, yeah, for defenses, if you can find the the one, you know, a defense that's in a, 
a conference or in a uh, division with three other offenses that are pretty weak, like the Patriots uh, were last year, that that definitely can make a difference. I mean, you know, when you know that you're going up against teams that are going to struggle to move the ball or that teams are that are struggling defensively and are going to have to take chances on offense, that's what you want. So we talked about some timing there as far as when the schedule comes out. And I imagine right now, if you're doing best balls right now, you don't even know when their bye weeks are. So do you wait to do a lot of drafts or are you doing a lot now? When when do you do most of them and what is the, what are the differences in your approach? So, yeah, I, I do drafts um, pretty much all season long or off all off season long, I guess I should say. Um, the nice thing is best balls are opening up earlier and earlier every year. Uh, we've gotten to the point where we can now uh, do best ball drafts before the Super Bowl has even happened uh, for the following year. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say I'm degenerate, but it might be true. Um, you know, so you've got, you've got, uh, you know, basically all off season long that you can do best ball drafts. And I, the, Different things are important at different times. Um, I typically do a fairly steady stream um, of them. I like doing a bunch right around when the NFL draft is about to start, just because player values are going to really change there. I like to do a bunch right around when free agency is about to start, because player values will really change there as well. Um, And what I try to do is I try to be ahead of the curve on guessing what's going to happen in free agency, guessing what's going to happen in the NFL combine, guessing what's going to happen at the NFL draft. And the better I can do at having a pretty good guess about what's going to go on at those different events, then that makes it easier for me to kind of put together a best ball team that's got a little bit better chance. This time of year tends to be uh, my highest win rates. Um, for whatever reason, I... <laughs> I don't do as well in like May and June and July. And then once we start getting into August, then uh, it starts picking up again. But uh, my best my best times are right now because in, in uh, you know, the early part of the year before even free agency has happened, I'm taking a look at the salary caps and, uh, you know, what are what is each team's cap situation? What players do they have, uh, you know, that might be cuttable because of their contract where they have, uh, you know, a high dollar contract but a low dead cap um you know so i can i can anticipate a lot of the that kind of player movement i can anticipate which teams are likely to sign the high dollar free agents just based on what their their team need is and what their salary cap situation is and then also what their draft choice situation is you know some teams have uh the you know a fair amount of salary cap and not many draft choices so you know they're going to go heavy into free agencies other teams are the opposite not much uh, salary cap, lots of draft choices. So, you know, they're going to major on the draft. And then there are some teams that have either a lot of both or a lot of neither. Um, and that's going to that's gonna inform how they handle free agency as well. So I, I try to have a good idea of what I think is going to happen. You know, obviously, I'm probably not any better than anybody else at, at picking specific landing locations for specific players. But if I can just tell myself that, okay, uh, you know, I think this team is probably going to take a wide receiver or two in free agency if they can. They're probably going to try to shore up their offensive line or whatever the case might be. Uh, that gives me an idea of how to approach a best ball. Well, we started at the top with quarterback and we worked our way down, tight end defense, but we kind of skipped over the meat of our roster here. So I want to make sure we get to that. Wide receivers, running backs. I know personally, I tend to hit running backs more. Um, there's a lot of good reasons for that. Uh, popular podcast out there, Rotor Underworld. Matt Kelly just had uh, Rich Rebar on, and they gave some really solid information about um, why running backs kind of have an edge, at least at the top right now, because there's just not as many of them. And the points they give over the wide receivers in comparison to wide receiver twos and threes versus running back two and threes um, make them so much more valuable. I'm wondering in a best ball, is there, you said earlier, consistency isn't necessarily really a thing. Do you approach your valuation of running backs versus wide receivers any different in a best ball than you would in a dynasty or a redraft because of the best ball aspect? 
I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking the wide receivers are maybe deeper because you get those big gains, but we always have running backs that come out of nowhere too, like a Mostert or something. Does it impact anything for you? Yeah, it does. It it definitely changes up how I approach it because of the fact that there's no free, you know, there's no free agency bids or anything like that. There, you know, my team is my team. When, when uh, the last pick has been picked, that's it. I can't make any moves. And that makes running backs intrinsically a little bit more valuable in best balls just because you, you know, if, if you're trying to, you know, play a zero running back strategy, uh, it's a little bit tougher to pull off just because you can't sit there and rotate um, in different, you know, potential running backs throughout the course of the season as they pop up. You're stuck with what you have and you only have so many roster spots. So you don't want to, you know, you don't want to dedicate nine or 10 roster spots to running backs uh, trying to find that, you know, that diamond in the rough. So with running back, you're better off typically generally going running back, heavy early and taking a few less running backs to give yourself more chances at wide receiver with the idea being that, you know what, if you miss on those early running backs, your team is probably screwed anyway. So, uh, you know, this is again, going to be one of the 85% of your rosters that just don't win. You know, I don't have any problem with, uh, you know, finishing a lot of 11th and 12th in a best ball league, as long as I finish first, 15% of the time. If I finish first 15% of the time, I'm going to win money. And all those 11th and 12th place finishes, it doesn't matter whether I finish third or 11th. It's it's all the same. They win nothing. What are the payouts? Is it top three in PB10? Uh, um, it depends on the, the site and the game. Um, you know, like BB10s, uh, they have what they call a classic where it's, 90% to, um, well, you, it's, it's a hundred dollar payout from, uh, um, a $10 entry fee, um, for first place and then a $5 credit for second place. And then they also have one that's 75, 20 and 10, I believe is third place. Um, you know, so you can play either top three or you can play the classic, which is 105. So either, either way, you're going to end up with a, the same payout, but you know, how it's distributed, you know, if you, if you find that you're one of those people who tends to finish in second and third, a lot more then you want to do the top threes. If you find you, that you're more of an all or nothing drafter, then uh, the classics are better. So given all that about the running back versus wide receiver, how does that actually affect your round to round drafting decisions? Um, do you typically go one, two, three running backs right out of the gate and then load up on more lower class receivers or do you mix it up? I, I will mix it up again, just because I'm doing a lot of different best balls. So I'm going to play around with strategy a pretty good amount, but yeah, for the most part, um, you know, if, if I feel a running back and wide receiver relatively equal in value to my team, I'm going to take the running back first because I know at receiver, it's a lot easier to find those dart throw receivers later on. And if I can, if I can get four running backs, I feel real comfortable with that again, opens up more roster spots for wide receivers later on, you know, so sometimes I'll go four running backs in a row and then I know I can probably go eight or even nine wide receivers if I want to, uh, because I've, I know I'm not going to take a fifth running back or I know I'm not going to take a sixth running back. There's even a strategy out there that uh, I've used from time to time. And I know some people have used it uh, pretty effectively. It's called hyper fragile and you just take three running backs. You're going to take, it's almost always going to be your first three picks are going to be running backs and it has to be three that you're very comfortable with. Um, but then you just don't take any more running backs. So you have more bullets to spend at wide receiver, quarterback, tight end, um, and most of the time you're going to use most of those on wide receiver. And then what that typically does is it, it, it allows you to jam a lot of points into the wide receiver, because again, you only need to fill two running back spots and you can fill three wide receivers. Plus you've got that uh, flex, which will probably be a wide receiver um, in the case of a hyper fragile lineup. So uh, 
it, it tends to work out. Uh, you know, you're going to finish either really well or really poorly. Uh, you don't see very many hyperfragile rosters that finish like six or seventh. Right. And within that approach, I would think that's a little bit more of a DFS mindset where you would use that approach on several different drafts, but use a different combination of those top three running backs. So one of those is going to hit. Yep. Yep. Exactly. You know, but here's one where I I had uh, Aaron Jones, Kenyon Drake and uh, Melvin Gordon as um, my first three picks. And then I didn't take a running back again after that. Um, I feel a little bit weak with Melvin Gordon being the third one. I would have rather it been Gurley or somebody like that. But, um, you know, I I just didn't see the running back value coming at me later. So while I was thinking I might end up adding a fourth running back to it, I ended up just being hyper fragile on it. So I guess what I'm hearing from you is because earlier I asked you, you know, do you have a goal in mind when you go at it? And you you pretty quickly dismiss that. So what I'm hearing from you is a little bit more of um, along with the familiarity of, of the drafts that you also spoke of. It's not so much about having one strategy. It's about having a handful of strategies that you're comfortable with and that you can quickly adapt and react to the room and go with any one of them as the draft demands. Yeah, exactly. I never go into a draft saying I'm going to run this draft this particular way. Uh, about as close as I come to that is when I'm playing uh, on the FFPC and I'm doing a super flex draft. Um, I'm going to wait on quarterback right now because there's so much uncertainty at quarterback. Uh, you you can get some values later, but uh, for the most part, you know, with the BB tens, I just I will go into it and I will take the best player available for the first couple three rounds, and then after that my strategy just kind of unfolds upon itself and I see, okay, yeah, this is how I'm going to have to approach this one. Um, I didn't get a tight end early, so I'm going to go a little bit later on tight end. And then, you know, the draft unfolds a few more rounds and I still didn't get a tight end. So now I know I'm going to take three late round tight ends instead of uh, doing some other strategy. Yeah. Every year, the last few years, I do an article series on my site um, about drafting from each position or kind of I group up the positions into kind of four different types. You've got the the turns on each end. You've got the ones next to the turn. You've got one end, which would be like your four and five and your uh, and then you've got the, the middle picks, the six and sevens. And I talk about the strategy from each of those positions and how and each year I kind of redo it so that I can actually talk about the players that according to ADP you most likely will be looking at at each of those kind of I only do the first few top rounds but the idea that I, I see a lot when I'm doing that is that especially on the early rounds and when it comes with running back is you don't want to take you don't want to make a decision on a, a position even that pigeonholes you for your next few picks into having to make a pick that you don't really want to make so how much does your position change your decisions um you talked about you don't have something going in you don't have anything in mind but if you're in a top three pick let's say you're the third pick you kind of already you kind of have to make up your mind pretty quick at least for the first one so what what is your decision there and if you take a wide receiver you kind of you almost have to take a couple running backs for the next two so do you generally start out just with running back yeah i'm i'm Right now, I'm generally going to start out with uh, running back. To me, most of the first round, um, running back is going to be the way to go. You know, you can throw in a Michael Thomas in there, uh, you know, but I would I would much rather take my shots with the different running backs, knowing how deep wide receiver is right now. Uh, I'm less interested in the, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, even Devontae Adams and guys like that. Uh, I feel like I can pick up equivalent value still a round or two later. Uh, you know, not exactly the same, but I, I feel like the drop off from running back uh, in round one to running back in round three is much higher than the drop off from wide receiver in round one to the wide receiver in round three, uh, for example. So it's not just a feel. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. Most of, most of the best ball drafts you see are going to have at most 
three non-running backs in the first round. Uh, that's how heavily slanted everything is towards running back right now. Whereas when I first started doing best balls, it was almost the opposite. Everybody was going wide receiver in the first round. It was, you know, usually just the first couple picks would be running backs and then you'd see a big slug of wide receivers and then people would start getting it back into running back towards the end of the round. Uh, but to get to your, your point about, you know, like, well, what if you're in, uh, the one or two hole or the 11 or 12 hole, uh, you really do have to think about what's, what's coming next. Uh, this is why I like having a draft board to look at, uh, when I can just see, you know, okay, what, what's going on in the draft? What do I have relative to what everybody else has? So that as my turn comes and I'm making two picks in rapid succession here, and then I'm about to let the draft swing all the way out and back to me again. What do I think is most likely to happen during that time that the, the draft is away from me? And then, you know, I a lot of times what I'll do is I'll make a pick that's, you know, taking advantage of a value that's dropped to me. And then my other pick will be uh, trying to be ahead of the curve on whatever I think is going to happen. Every now and then uh, I'll make two picks that I think are ahead of the curve. Like if I think, uh, a lot of quarterbacks are going to go off. And by the time it gets back to me, I'm not going to like what I have left. I'm going to take two quarterbacks in a row and just get it taken care of right now. So I don't have to worry about that. And then typically what that'll do too, is that we'll start to kick off a quarterback run if it hasn't already started. And then a lot of quarterbacks will get picked between, you know, when I send it out, when it comes back to me, which means less of the players that I'm going to be interested in my next picks end up getting picked during that time. So it kind of works two ways for you. If you can kick off a run like that, it really comes back to help you in the next round. And sometimes you can do things like kick off a quarterback round or a quarterback run and send it out and back. And then you can kick off like a tight end run and then send it out and back. And so you, you'll end up being ahead of the curve for like four successive picks. When you can do that, it doesn't happen all the time, but when you can do that, it feels really good. Oh, yeah. There's no better feeling than, than starting off a, a quarterback run. And the player that you were considering whether or not to take right now, the running back that was like third on normal ADP from the top mm -hmm. uh, is still there when it comes all the way back to you. Uh, and you're on like the 10 spot and there's been 16 picks and somehow it's still there for you just because only two other running backs went that entire time. That's a great feeling. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's part of the fun of it, you know, and that's, uh, that, to me, that's what makes best balls kind of addictive too, is just, you know, the strategy of, uh, you know, how you handle your picks and what happens in between your picks. And, uh, you know, when everything falls right, it just, it feels great. Now I'm not going to get so much into the, the business strategy or money strategy side of it, of, of what, uh, which ones to target and ROI, return on investment and all that kinds of things. I would encourage people to check out your Bolin uh, podcast on that. Your first episode did focus on on some of that uh, more in much better depth than we would be able to get in here today in the time we have left. Did you have anything else as far as best ball that you thought should come up for people to know? I think the main thing for, for best balls as far as what people need to know is just get in there. If you haven't done it, um, get in there and play around with it a little bit. Uh, there's some $5 drafts now available on uh, the BB tens. So you can get in there for, you know, pretty low cost and just do a few play around with them. There's a lot of strategy articles out there on uh, a variety of different sites, you know, and uh, many of them are free and, you know, so just be out on Twitter, um, you know, if you're looking for people to follow for best ball, you can certainly start with me and uh, I can direct you to some other people that are great followers as well. Um, and, you know, but just get in there and start playing with it because you're going to find it's a lot of fun and you're going to find it's going to really help you out on your uh, on your main drafts when you get into the, you know, August or whatever, September, whenever you do your your hometown leagues or your big money leagues or whatever you you happen to do. Hey, this has been really great. I can't believe we've actually gone as long as we have um, because it doesn't actually feel like it. Uh, we hit a lot of things. Uh, where can the people find you primarily? What, Twitter? 
Yeah, Twitter is probably the easiest place to catch me. Uh, I'm at overhyped sleeper. Drop the final E from sleeper. Um, and you can also, of course, catch me on uh, the Goat District podcast. So if you're, you know, whatever platform you happen to listen on. Yeah, and the Goat District podcast was your your flagship. You know, that's been around for how many? A couple of years, at least, that I know of. It's it's been around for a little bit, and we do cover a, we do cover mostly Dynasty on the Goat District podcast. But we also uh, we will make uh, quite a few references into Best Ball. Of course, the best the Ballin podcast is to allow us to spend a little bit more time uh, with Best Ball, which is what we've always kind of wanted to do as well. But uh, you're gonna you're gonna find things. Uh, you know, one of the reasons why I like playing dynasty and best ball is just because they both inform each other a little bit. You know, things that I pick up in my dynasty uh, study helps me out for best ball. Things I pick up in my best ball helps me out for dynasty. So you're probably gonna find the same thing if you listen to you know some dynasty focused podcasts like the Goat District. It'll help you out for best ball and vice versa. Yeah, so check them out, Goat District. The the Ball In podcast uh, episodes are on that same exact feed, so there's nothing extra to find there. Just find Goat District. Uh, if you're listening right now, just look down in the, the notes on this episode. It'll be in there. And look for, for Dan Williamson here on Twitter. Like you said, overhyped sleeper. Drop that final E. Thank you very much for coming on with me today, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Josh. I really appreciate it. It's a, it was a fun conversation. And we'll have to get you back in here again when uh, we get into the summer and into the season and see see if anything's changing and who you're focusing on for actual players. It was mostly um, strategy kind of today theory and not so much the players, but I'd love to hear who are the players that you are focusing on. So maybe we can do that again. All right. Sounds great to me.